Welcome to the Mormon Faircast. I'm Ned Skarsbrick and one of the many volunteers of Fair Mormon who help those with faith issues. These podcasts will be a series of nine episodes done by Karen Trifoletti from the I Believe podcast. Each episode deals with issues regarding how the Bible is a reliable source of truth. These podcasts are used by permission of Karen Trifoletti and the I Believe podcast group. And now, the authenticity of the Bible. I'm Andrew Hancock, producer of I Believe Podcasts, intended for all truth seekers, from agnostic and religiously unaffiliated to those intellectually struggling, or friends of other faiths seeking to know more about life's meaning, Christianity, or Christ's church. Your host is Karen Trifoletti, a self-identified, perfectly imperfect, but graced follower of Jesus Christ. For more podcasts or information, please visit our website at IWillLeavePodcast.com or subscribe on iTunes. Here's Karen. Welcome back. We're back in the saddle at I Believe Podcast, eager to be with you for this, the next of our series of casts on the reliability of the Bible. We're here again with our special guest, D.M. Johnson. Dave, welcome back. It's good to be back. We're going to get into some of the examples where archaeology shows corroboration with the Bible and talk about some of the artifacts. So... Stay with us. We're really glad that you're back with us. I think we need to state at the outset of this cast that there's no way for archaeology to corroborate everything in the Bible or prove any theology to be true. So the purpose of this series is really to show some of the evidence that supports belief in a biblical Christian faith. Dave, did you want to say anything before we dive into some of the examples on this? I just think it's important that we differentiate the difference you know, between evidence and proof. Sometimes on the skeptical side or people who are on the, the faithful side, they both kind of throw around the word proof, and that's different than, than evidence. So uh, ultimately, archaeology can show a corroboration for historical events. And sometimes this can help us to understand a person or a culture or affirm certain things in terms of you know people being actual historical people or cultures. Thanks, true, Dave. And let's not forget um, to underscore that there are also spiritual evidence as well as physical. That said, let's just dive in. Um, I'd love to talk about the Dead Sea Scrolls. We touched on this a little in the overview cast, and this is probably the biggest archaeological find in terms of the information we gained that relates to the Bible. Um, many of our listeners may know that in the spring of 1947, these Bedouin goat herds searching the cliffs along the Dead Sea for actually a lost goat came upon a cave containing jars filled with manuscripts. And that find really caused a sensation when it was released to the world, and it continues to fascinate the scholarly community and the public to this day. Um, there was a real thorough examination of the area then that occurred, and that led them to discover even more caves, right, which were found in the hills around Qumran and caves that yielded several more scrolls as well as thousands of fragments of scrolls, the remnants of over 900 manuscripts dating from approximately 200 B.C. to 68 C.E. We have over 100,000 fragments. These are so important to us because, as you mentioned, Dave, in our overview cast, they give us empirical data that shows these messianic prophecies were written before the time of Jesus. And among the scrolls, we have all the books of the Old Testament, with the exception of Esther, as well as some other writings from that time period. So, can you address some of the revelatory corroborative findings implicit there? Yeah, the scrolls really gave us uh, also evidence that we have a solid copy of the Old Testament. And as you mentioned, you know, we've even had them radiocarbon dated. 
In addition to this, we've had a lot of other discoveries. The, the Pool of Siloam, for example, has been corroborated. And this, of course, is in the Bible. A couple of times it's mentioned in Isaiah and also in the Gospel of John. And this is the place where John describes Jesus healing a man who'd been born blind. And uh, scholars hadn't been able to locate this pool until 2004. And there was even a story uh, in the press in 2004 in the news, it was interesting to see, uh, you know, things like this here even coming up in the media now. We also had uh, the Pool of Bethesda that's been corroborated, and this was the place where Jesus healed the man who'd been lame for, for 38 years. So a lot of different things are being found. Great. I think some people might think it's interesting to see where archaeology has corroborated certain individuals also of interest to us biblically. Uh, I think it also might be good for listeners to see where... Given the same archaeological findings, we see some individuals, Dave, drawing different conclusions around those. You know, as Christians, we sometimes see people overstate their case on both sides of these issues, actually. Uh, In other cases, I I think sometimes we can be timid in sharing information because we haven't learned to distinguish facts from conclusions based on those facts. So can you speak to that for a minute and maybe talk about a particular piece of archaeology as an example of those points? And we have a, a piece of pavement that uh, a lot of folks think go back to Erastus of Corinth. And so in 1929, this inscription was found, and it mentioned Erastus, and it was found near a paved area in the northeast of the theater there in Corinth. And, and the inscription reads, Erastus, in return for his ship, laid the pavement at his own expense. And so this is one of those examples that we have uh, where everybody agrees uh, of the antiquity of this. It dates to the uh, middle of the first century. Everybody agrees on what the text says. But, but skeptics will say, well, this could have been another Erastus. And believers, will, apologists will point out, well, it could have been the Erastus that's mentioned by Paul. And so there's things like that. We have um, Sergius Paulus, who's, who's mentioned in the book of Acts. We have an inscription that corroborates uh, him. We have uh, an ossuary for Caiaphas. This is a, a stone box that says on it, Joseph, son of Caiaphas. And we don't know 100% with 100% certainty that it's the same Caiaphas. However, it, it fits the biblical narrative perfectly. We don't know of any other Joseph, son of Caiaphas in the mm-hmm. first century who would be in an ossuary like that. It's kind of an ornate ossuary, somebody that would have been in the upper class. Mm-hmm. And they even have a lot of these findings, a lot of forensics go into it. They have osteologists who will look at the bones. Hmm. We know that the bones of that individual is a 60-year-old man. Amazing. Yeah, we have uh, Pontius Pilate. Uh, we all know the story when Jesus is taken before Pontius Pilate in, in the Bible. And we had literary evidence of him outside of the Bible, as we mentioned in our other cast. But we didn't really have physical evidence until 1961 when an archaeologist discovered an inscription. And the inscription has Pontius Pilate as the prefect of Judea. And historians have sometimes referred to Pilate as procurator. That's usually for later governors of the area. Uh, Emperor Claudius, under that era, they were known as that. But earlier governors like Pilate were known as prefects, just like in the inscription that we have. So cool. You know, a lot of people probably remember Nebuchadnezzar from the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, and we have a Babylonian brick with the inscription of Nebuchadnezzar too, don't we, Dave? Yeah. Um, I know there are also at times people who try to say that Jesus didn't die when he was crucified. There's clear evidence from the biblical record, we'd like to say, that he was indeed dead. Um, it's also why they didn't break his bones, which was also prophesied. Victims of the crucifixion would push up with their feet so that they could breathe better. And it's interesting that we have prophecies that Jesus would be pierced through for our transgressions. Now there's archaeological evidence of a crucified man where we have a heel bone with a spike going through the bone and the wood. 
Yeah, it's amazing. You can actually see the validation of the way, how they used to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have archaeology around uh, the Apostle Paul. And just to remind folks, again, uh, Paul is kind of the darling of, of scholars. Uh, we have letters that are undisputed by Paul, that are accepted by people across the spectrum, uh, even atheists. We, we have a lot of different things about Paul. He's an enemy to Christ. We also have archaeology around some of the things that happened to Paul. So the theater in Ephesus is an amazing site. You, you can mm-hmm. Google it. Uh, where the riot broke out because of some of Paul's preaching there in, in Acts 19. Uh, we also read in Acts 19 about Artemis of the Ephesians as basically a goddess uh, deity that they worshipped. And, and you can see the ruins of Hadrian's temple there in Ephesus mm-hmm. where it was basically dedicated to Artemis. We have uh, the Parthenon on the Acropolis. And below the Acropolis was uh, in the sanctuary of the ancient Agora. It was basically there where the Apostle Paul met the Epicureans and some of the philosophers. And we have Mars Hill there where Paul delivered that great sermon about the unknown God. And so we have a lot of this different stuff that corroborates that storyline that we hear with Paul in the New Testament. Yeah, pretty significant. Um, It's also very interesting to think about the various coins that we hear about in the Bible. Some coins include the inscriptions of rulers such as Herod Antipas and Herod Agrippa, Emperor Claudius and Caesar Augustus. And I know sometimes people probably see the Western Wailing Wall on the news or every time they do an Israel show on TV, and it seems like we can see it so much that it can be really easy to forget that that's real archaeology there. Dave, I know you had mentioned, uh, speaking of that, that you had a chance to see an artifact in person recently. Did you want to talk about the Cyrus Cylinder and its significance? I was able to go see the Cyrus Cylinder when it came to the Getty Villa there in, in L.A. and California, and it was a really neat experience. Uh, it was amazing. It's a clay cylinder, and it basically talks about King Cyrus and gives a parallel of some of the things that we see in the biblical account when the Persians conquered the Babylonians. And, and Cyrus, we have him talked about in several books of the Bible, and what happened with the Persians when they conquered Babylon is predicted by Isaiah. And so we'll, we'll try to post a, a translation there and the notes for people to read. It's really interesting. But the edict uh, for Cyrus, uh, you know, the rebuilding of Jerusalem was really a great epic in the history of the Jews. We also have Belshazzar, who's mentioned in, in Daniel chapter 5. He's been corroborated as well. And, and this was really interesting because other artifacts had been found before that where they had some lists of kings and Belshazzar uh, was not on that. It was not on some of those, and so the critics jumped in at that, aha, you know, and, and tried to say that, that Belshazzar was a literary invention, or he was mythological, and that it couldn't be corroborated. And then uh, we had the discovery of the Nabonidus cylinder, and it contained the name of Belshazzar. And we learned from this text that Belshazzar was the son and the co-regent king of the Babylonian king, Nabonidus, and so he would leave for a time, and then Belshazzar would be there, and so it ends up fitting in with the biblical account. That's just so cool. It's interesting as we go through these different things uh, on archaeology and how just how they support the Bible, and as you said, in the storyline, the narrative, and all, all the details. Um, I know for some, though, that this can be an intimidating and confusing in terms of how to approach studying something like this. You know, maybe the average listener out there would like some thoughts on a fun way to integrate this kind of learning with their own family or personal Bible study. Can you speak to that? I used to try to, to study this, and it never really clicked that well until I started using study Bibles. I really love 
uh, study Bibles. And the NIV version has a really good archaeology study Bible, and it's neat. When I do my Bible study with my kids, uh, you open up the pages, and there's articles woven right into the pages there. And so when you get to a point where there's a relevant archaeological finding, you'll see nice color pictures, and it will explain how it relates uh, to those. I also really recommend the book, The Popular Handbook of Archaeology. I like to see, here's an artifact, here's what it corroborates, and here's where I can go look it up in the scriptures. And it has really good tables where you can see that kind of information. Very helpful. That's awesome. Thanks, Dave. I use several different study Bibles myself, and I do commend those to our listeners. I haven't picked that one up, but I think I will. It's interesting when you look at pictures of some of these artifacts and sites, it brings up the Bible in 3D, and it just becomes so much more real to us. So um, I know the ruins of the synagogue in Capernaum, for example, are still there, right? And um, this is one of the many places that Jesus taught, as we know. It's also in Capernaum that Jesus heals the centurion. And in that synagogue, Jesus gave the Sermon on the Bread of Life. So these are significant um, sites and artifacts. I know, Dave, on the overview cast, we mentioned the Hittites as well as King David. Did you want to touch on those as well? Yeah, the Hittites are an amazing story. I mean, they were doubted by the skeptics and by secular historians and even archaeologists. Uh, and then in, in 1876, when they were excavating over in Turkey, they found a bunch of human artifacts. They found five temples. They found over 10,000 clay tablets that had all this information about the Hittites' names and everything, and it was basically announced that, okay, you know, the Hittites existed. Uh, skeptics had long asserted that King David wasn't real, that he was mythological. And in 1993, the Tel Dan inscription was found, and it had on there, King of Israel, King of the House of David, and that affirmed the historicity of David. And there are people who will who will try to, to doubt things, but the majority of scholars accept that as as affirming the historicity of David. That's great. I know we could probably do a dozen casts on just archaeology, right? Yeah. Um, there are so many things that we see as clear evidence that the Bible was based on real historical events. Steve, could you just list, list quickly for um, our audience some of the events that were in the Bible and also corroborated outside the Bible in archaeology, and then we'll post specific references on site? Sure. We, we have the campaign into Israel by Pharaoh Shishak that's mentioned in, in 1 Kings, and that's recorded on the walls uh, of a temple that's in Egypt. Uh, we have the revolt of Moab uh, against Israel in 2 Kings, and that's we have that on an inscription called the Misha inscription. We have the fall of Samaria in 2 Kings to Sargon II, king of Assyria. Now, that's recorded on palace walls. We have uh, the defeat of Ashad by Sargon II. This was uh, prophesied by Isaiah in Isaiah 20. We have that recorded on his palace walls. Uh, we have the campaign of a Syrian king, Sennacherib, against Judah in 2 Kings. And that is uh, recorded on a really cool-looking prism called the Taylor Prism. Uh, we have the siege of Lachish by Sennacherib in 2 Kings. Uh, that's recorded on the Lachish reliefs. We have uh, the assassination of Sennacherib by his own sons uh, in 2 Kings. And that's recorded on the annals of Asharhaddon. I always have an issue remembering that name. But <laughs> <laughs> we have the fall of Nineveh. It was predicted by Nahum and Zephaniah. Um, and we have that recorded on the tablet of Nelopolisar. And so we have a lot of different things like that where it's set in scripture and then we have evidence outside the scriptures for them in terms of archaeological findings. Great. This has been such a good exercise again in walking through just some of the evidence that shows archaeological corroboration with both the Old and the New Testaments of the Holy Bible. You know, I know there are a lot of skeptical people out there who can sometimes bring our faith into question. And I'd like to share a quote from a famed archaeologist who was featured in Time magazine. 
Um, in his book, he stated something that I think is quite striking, and it was this, quote, It may be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. Scores of archaeological findings have been made which confirm in clear outline or exact detail historical statements in the Bible, and by the same token, proper evaluation of biblical descriptions has often led to amazing discoveries. Dave, is there anything you'd like to add as we wind up this cast? I think it's really important if you're someone who's doubted or you're searching for truth, just to approach things with an open mind. There's no way that you could ever have archaeological evidence for every single event in the Bible. Um, but as we mentioned before, if you think about it, you know, in the Gospel of John, we have 59 historically confirmed or historically provable eyewitness details. And Craig Blomberg talks about this in his book, um, The Reliability of John's Gospel. And Luke, we talked about, he's a, a great historian. And some of the research that Colin Hemmer did showed that you know, of 84 uh, historically confirmed uh, eyewitness details in the second half of the book of Acts alone. And so I like to think uh, of William Ramsey and what he said. I'm totally fascinated by people when they do a 180 in their thinking, whichever way they go. It just intrigues me when they go <laughs> do a total 180. And, and remember, Ramsey, he, he set out to disprove the biblical record, to disprove Luke, and instead he becomes converted. Exactly. And Ramsey wrote this. He said, Luke is a historian of the first rank. Not merely are his statements of fact trustworthy, he should be placed among the very great historians. And so the question I would put out there um, to people today is, is if the Bible is correct in all the places that we can check it, shouldn't we be open-minded in the areas that we can't? You know, if, if Luke is so meticulous in getting all these little things right, I think it's totally reasonable uh, that we, he can be accurate in getting all the big things right as well. Thank you for joining us on I Believe Podcast. Again, we will post this transcript, and we invite you to submit questions or comments for Dave or myself. Visit us on site at ibelievepodcast.com. Email me at karen at ibelievepodcast, or visit us on YouTube, Facebook, Google+, and submit your thoughts. We would really love to hear from you. In closing, God bless you uh, in your spiritual walk and journey. And Dave, thanks again for being with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to I Believe, Expressions of Faith, with host Karen Trifoletti. For the video of this podcast, visit our website at ibelievepodcast.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ibelievepodcast. Follow us on Twitter or give us a call at 185-NO-GOD-1 with your sincere questions. Karen would love to hear from you. If you like this podcast, you can help support it by subscribing to it in iTunes or writing a review. Post a link on your blog or Facebook page. As always, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast may not represent those of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or that of Fair Mormon. Thanks for listening.